welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. All right, this week we were supposed to talk about psychology, and I was going to have my first ever guest, and I'm still planning on that, but my guest got sick, so I'm talking to him next Monday. And if all goes well, I'll have a really good episode for you on Thursday, or maybe I'll on Friday, rather, or maybe I anticipated myself, or maybe I'll even post it on Thursday. But that is unfortunately not happening this week. By the way, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. This is a show about human flourishing, which is human beings living to their highest potential, which is both a combination of mental success and material success. And on this show, I explore the issue of how do we flourish, and a lot of that then amounts to being the issue of how do we get good knowledge or accurate knowledge about how to flourish, which turns out to be really hard, and that's why a big focus on this show is what kinds of processes or systems or methods can we use to get better knowledge. If you want to know more about the show, definitely recommend going back and listening to episodes one and episodes two in particular, which set out the mission of the show. Now, for those of you who've been listening, the last three episodes have been about nutrition, about how do we get real knowledge about what's going to benefit us nutritionally. And I don't have much of a, in the way of progress on that, although I'm going to discuss some really interesting listener comments that I got, which will then, I think, help us make some progress. And one reason I didn't make that much progress is that I, I'm working on a project which hopefully will not be secret for very much longer. It currently has to be secret. But what I can say is that the mental bandwidth that I have for thinking about knowledge acquisition systems is being very much exhausted by that other project. And I hope that what I'm figuring out for that other project will help with this Human Flourishing Project show and the broader Human Flourishing Project effort. But for now, it's just leaving me with less time. But one reason I want to have a weekly show is that I want to make progress every week and share some sort of insight every week. So this week, a lot of the insight is going to come from the listener comments. And I should just say, I'm really enjoying the fact that we're getting more and more listener engagement on the Facebook page. So if you haven't checked it out, or even if you have checked it out, make sure to go to facebook.com slash human flourishing project. And you'll see some really interesting comments, particularly for the last several episodes, which have been about nutrition. All right. So here are two comments. I'm not going to read the whole comment but I will read uh, big chunks of them. And then if you want the full context, then just go to the Facebook page, episode 15, I believe it was, and then you can see. So here's the first one. This is by Ash Ryan. So he says, quote, I've been catching up on the podcasts over the past month and have wanted to comment on several of them. So it goes against my usual approach that this initial comment of mine is going to be somewhat critical. And I want to stress up front that by and large, I think the podcast is excellent, and I think that you are typically a very precise and careful thinker and great communicator, Alex. Of course, you can sense a but coming, which is totally okay, and, and I think what he says is, is quite interesting and worth addressing, and I think his whole comment 
is very thoughtful. So continuing, but this topic is somewhat near and dear to my heart for reasons I'll get into in a moment. And I think there are several problems with the approach taken so far that I'd like to point out, most of them having to do with an underappreciation of the natural variations and variability across many dimensions when it comes to nutrition. But first, and this is what I want to focus on, as Alex, I should say, but first, the fact that the label you use for one of the schools of thought you discuss is the carnivore or even pure carnivore diet is a misidentification by non-essentials that amounts to a straw man and seems to reveal a pre-existing bias against it on your part. I'm guessing you use this term to try to encompass things like the paleo diet together with a ketogenic diet, but while there are some similarities and occasionally some overlap between them, these are not the same thing and differ in important respects. You can, in fact, eat a vegetarian diet that is ketogenic, which would probably include lots of nuts, some avocado, and other relatively fatty plant-based foods, as well as eggs and some dairy like cheese and heavy cream, and I've known people who have done so. You could even eat a vegan ketogenic diet, though this would be somewhat more difficult. Most advocates I've read of what you're calling a carnivorous diet aren't actually so much pro-meat as they are pro-fat, pro-protein, or even just anti-refined carbohydrate, at least in the skyrocketing amounts contained in the typical Western post-industrial diet over the past century ago, which is historically extremely atypical of human dietary patterns. And then Ash goes on to talk about how he's been eating a ketogenic diet, and he describes this as, quote, having, ha having quote, by far the most dramatic and immediate beneficial impact on my health in any other measure I had tried in over a decade of various treatments for chronic Lyme disease, unquote. And then he goes into some of the different benefits that he attributes to this diet. And so it's, the whole thing is, is worth reading. I, I want to address the carnivore thing in a minute in connection with another post, which is non-coincidentally by someone who is a pure carnivore. Uh, but I want to uh, quote you the end of this, which I found particularly intriguing and for me the most actionable thing. He says at the end, and by the way, since you mentioned in this episode that one of the reasons you don't just try it yourself, it being what I'm calling the carnivore diet and what he says is probably better called the ketogenic diet. Um, and he says the, the, one of the reasons you don't just try it yourself, despite generally being in favor of running such personal experiments, is that it can take a month or two to see the full benefits. So you'd want to have more evidence before committing to it. Let me just mention that you can actually get into ketosis over a weekend just by fasting for a couple days. So this would actually be a pretty easy experiment to run. And I think that is a great point. I think that's a, the, and as soon as I read that, I thought, I really like the way he's thinking in terms of how can I do a low-cost experiment to try out something. Now, as the next comment we'll get into, I there are a lot of things I can't know by just trying something for a little bit, but certainly with some aspects of what I'm eating, how it impacts the way I feel, certain things that I'm very sensitive to and track a lot, like different energy levels, that that really interests me to see, okay, what's what's the what's the difference between the way I'm eating now and then tracking certain aspects of that and then seeing what happens even if I just fast, which I've never tried. But there is this point that fasting 
makes your body run in a similar way to what these keto or carnivore diets uh, make them do. And so that's intriguing to me. So I want to talk more about that in a minute, but first I want to read the other post. So this comment is from someone named Ken Landon. And Ken says, I'm quoting part of this, again, recommend that you read the whole thing. I have been conducting a personal quote-unquote experiment. I have been a complete and consistent carnivore for the past nine and a half years. I do not know the long-term effect of this way of eating because, as I mentioned above, and he has some things he talked about above, there is no reliable data upon which to base such a judgment. All I can say in this respect is that I have had all the conventional markers of good health, such as an excellent lipid profile, steady weight, sense of well-being, steady energy, easy digestion, without any fiber, no hunger pains uh, or cravings, among other things. And he continues, I write all that not to convince anyone about my particular way of eating, but just to point out that despite the ongoing benefits that I observe, I still do not have certainty about the long-term effect of being an exclusive carnivore. As such, I am intently following your discussion, just as I have read many articles and research over on this topic over the years to see if there is information about the long-term effects. I have read about the experience of a man who was an exclusive carnivore for 50 years, but that N equals 1 anecdotal theory is not proof, just as my positive experience over the past nine and a half years is not proof. Obviously, each person has to do their own research and reach their own conclusion about the best way of eating. Unless there is definitive information about the long-term effects of any particular way of eating, then each person will be faced with the same dilemma I faced nine and a half years ago and still face today. Based on information that I found convincing enough, I made the very important decision to eat the way I do. However, I've never been able to answer the very important question of the long-term effect. I'll keep searching for the answer, but I suspect that no such information is available. What I do know is that the population of the U.S. has become less healthy ever since the government pushed a particular way of eating. From that, I strongly suspect that a high-carb way of eating that is based primarily on whole grains is not healthy. So the, the end of that... Um, the end of that, I'm not 100% sure about. I mean, I think you need more than he says here, but and he's not even claimed to give his old thought process. But in any case, I think that overall this post and the post by Ash or this comment and the comment by Ash are both very thoughtful and it's exciting to me to see people who really seem to be trying to find the truth and then doing their own experimentation. But But both of these posts I really enjoyed in part because the people involved really don't seem to have any other agenda be, besides finding out what works well for them and as a means to that, finding out, if possible, what works well for human beings in general. So thank you to both Ash and Ken for that. Ken, I don't think he'll mind me saying now, has discussed this a little bit with me privately and told me about some of his experiences, and he's actually one of the main reasons why I've been thinking of this issue in terms of carnivore because I heard his specific story and then he referred me to some specific sources where there were these pure carnivores and those carnivores do claim specific benefits from meat, certain aspects of meat in terms of, uh, well, even just the fat in meat having unique benefits and then also the, the, you know, the balance of vitamins and minerals that you'll get in meat because of the origin, because of, you know, what the animals are consuming. So that's, that's, what intrigued me, well, that it, it intrigued me that this was a classification, but also 
that people who ate this way claimed really extraordinary results. And Ken struck me as someone when I talked to him, and I think you'll see this in his writing, he struck me as somebody who's very level-headed and careful and yet was claiming a, you know, a very strong, positive result. And that's, that's always something that's exciting to me when I meet somebody who seems very level-headed and not prone to exaggeration and they matter-of-factly tell me, hey, this has been my experience. I'm not claiming that it's universal, but it has been my experience. So maybe you want to consider that. So for Ash, that's why I've been focused on the carnivore aspect because that group of people has in particular intrigued me the most with their claimed results. I think there's a website called Zero Carb Zen. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Zero Carb Zen, I think, .com. And that's just testimonials of people who are eating as carnivores. And it's really interesting to read their anecdotes. And again, I don't count any of this as, oh, this proves something definitively about human behavior in general, but that is a that is a group that intrigues me. And then there's there's some other resources, including I think the leading ultramarathoner in the world, or the record holder, is a carnivore, nearly a pure carnivore, and then attributes a lot of success. So there's I am very, very excited by approaches that claim to get really outstanding results. And in other aspects of life, I've found such approaches, and it can take a while, and sometimes they're counterintuitive, but sometimes there really just is a good approach that's rare. Now I want to go back to Ash's point about I could test a ketogenic diet, or at least test that state of body by fasting. And I think that is a great idea, but I think, and, and I'm motivated to do that, although my experience with fasting has not, not been fun, so I'm not exactly looking forward to that. Maybe I'll have to mentally prepare myself for that. But before I do that, what I want to do is make sure if I'm doing this as a personal experiment that I improve my experimentation processes, particularly for something like nutrition. And this raises the question of what should I be tracking with my current way of eating? And I mentioned last week that I eat, right now I eat primarily potatoes, so like a low-fat plant-based diet, uh, but particularly with potatoes as a staple, and that's had a lot of beneficial effects. And you can listen to the last time, last episode to hear the details of how I eat. But question is, what do I want to make sure I track for a little while on this and then before I try the other thing, just so I get objectivity? And I and I really want listener feedback on this because I'm pretty good at self-experimentation in general, but I'm, I haven't been the most diligent at all in terms of monitoring physical things. And so one question I have is, what should I get tested for blood-wise? Uh, blood in terms of, I, I definitely want to keep tracking feeling-wise. How do I feel with energy levels? You know, how do I, how is my energy throughout the day? But any, any experiences you can give me or any resources you can give me on good ways to track, particularly things like uh, the effects of food on the body, obviously keeping track of weight can be something, although a weekend isn't going to show anything with that. So I'm, I'm really interested in your ideas on that. I'll do a little research on it, but I, I have an engaged enough community now where I'll bet that some of you have some good ideas about, hey, this is what you should make sure that you start tracking. 
and then if and when you try other things, you'll you'll have a a baseline, you know, you'll, so you can actually run a better experiment. So definitely appreciate any feedback you have on on that, and also anything more broadly on self experimentation. One theme that's come up somewhat unexpectedly over the weeks and months of doing this show is how often self-experimentation seems to be valuable. And it makes sense because it's so hard to get general knowledge that you specify accurately, to be able to say, okay, there's something that generally applies to all of these people or all of these whatever in some specific respect, in a way that you can really say, yes, this is a universal truth about some class of things. That that can be really, really hard to do. But ultimately, the purpose of doing that, of learning a universal truth, is to be able to apply it to yourself, to know, okay, well, let's take the classic example from logic, all men are mortal or all humans are mortal, Okay, that's a good for me to know about myself because that means I'm not going to exist forever and that then I should be motivated to make the uh, the most of my life and I should also be quite motivated to avoid things that have a high chance of killing me. So that's that's an example of how general knowledge can lead to specific knowledge, but sometimes in nutrition and psychology sometimes it can be hard to get it. Now we want to get it. But sometimes the best way to proceed is to experiment with a particular idea and then see how does this work on us. And then maybe all we know is that this works on us or this seems to work on us or this this works as far as we're tracking it. But that can be a really, really big breakthrough. So using yourself as the subject of an experiment can be incredibly, incredibly valuable. So I'm just more and more interested in how do I do that better? It's already something I do pretty well in a lot of respects, but I want to get a lot better at it. And just in case it's interesting, I just want to share with you, I've been, I do a lot of experimentation in terms of productivity and rejuvenation. And I just find that identifying for me what, what, consistently makes me feel a certain way is just incredibly valuable. And sometimes it only takes a few trying of something to see, oh, wow, this works way better. And sometimes it only even takes one try because we can understand the mechanism of something. So, for example, uh, and I go in the ocean a lot. I've talked about that. One thing I used to do but had stopped doing was I used to swim underwater um, you know, I'd go in the waves and I'd, I'd swim underwater, do what's called Tabata. That's a certain kind of workout that basically you do 20 seconds of really intense work and then you take 10 seconds rest and then you do 20 and 10. And it's just, it's a kind of interval training, I think is the classification. And I do a modified version of that in the ocean, but essentially I just go under and swim quite hard and then take a rest, then swim quite hard and take a rest. Now, I make sure that I'm safe and I actually have my assistant come with me to the ocean just to be a backup lifeguard in case no one is there. So I really take my survival seriously. Uh, but nevertheless, what I, I, I tried doing that recently 
And I just noticed, wow, I really, really like this. This makes it much more rejuvenating because it just it gives me a little bit of exercise. And it also just totally clears my mind because when I'm doing it, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just thinking of, wow, I need to work hard to get myself tired. And wow, I am enjoying breathing when I'm allowed to breathe. And and then I notice, well, I, I can't do a full... Tabata of just getting myself totally tired because that'll that'll make me get too tired afterwards. So there's a sweet spot, and all this is just an example of personal experimentation. Even even just doing that once, even the first time I did it years ago, there was some mechanism at work, and I had pretty good confidence that it was the this kind of interval training because of the distraction and also just because of the, the stimulation of my body via exercise. And then I had forgotten about it. And what I'd like to do in the future is not forget about these things as much because there's there's a huge treasure trove of knowledge in the things we've done before that worked that we stopped doing for one reason or another. So you can even get a lot better in your life just by looking at your past and looking at, hey, what experiments really, really worked. One more that I've I've really paid attention to as I've been working on the a secret project that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode is I've worked a lot on what form of engagement with computing machines worked best. And I'm saying that in a, in a kind of awkward way because sometimes what I notice is that I work really, really well with handwriting. And then sometimes I work really, really well with typing and in particular there's an outlining program I love called Checkvist, checkvist.com, check and then vist.com and sometimes I feel like I'm most productive if I'm typing out but a shocking amount of time I am most productive when writing by hand on the iPad Pro and then even within that it's so often that I, I have the larger version of that so I can do split screen and often the most productive state for me to be is to be reading something and then or editing something and then having another screen where I can just take notes about it. Or if I'm outlining, sometimes I'll, I'll look at something long, like if I'm reverse outlining, which I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, then I'll just I'll look at that. And then on the separate page, I'll write out the summary of, say, five paragraphs. And then I'll do a summary of the next five paragraphs. So the details here aren't super interesting, but it, it's really fascinating to me how much of a productivity difference it makes to be using the right tool at the right time. And there's no way I could get this knowledge by just looking at, oh, what are the general studies about handwriting? Even if there are those things, and I had heard those things for years, but what are you going to do with just a general study? Because are you going to do it all the time? It's not specific enough. You don't know exactly how it applies to you versus by testing different things every day. And then seeing, oh, wow, there are real patterns when I work on, in particular, when I work on things that require a lot of creativity, it's really good to use handwriting for a whole bunch of of reasons. And when I'm typing, uh, it can be very frustrating for creativity. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but I don't want to get into that too much because the point is that is the experimentation, is looking in as nuanced a way as possible at what is working, what isn't, and then getting a sense of the cause and effect. And when we are the entity we're studying, we have a lot of access to information about 
what's going on. It's not, it's certainly not infallible. We can get a lot of things wrong, but that experimental mentality is very valuable. And then the only thing I'll add on top of that is that part of being a personal experimenter is that we have a commitment to using the results of those experiments as a matter of process, as routines in our lives. So if, if I know, hey, I work really well, I write really well under X set of circumstances, which are, let's say, I write really well when I'm fully rejuvenated after meditation, uh, particularly early in the day or with a long rejuvenating break in the middle of the day, if I want to write later in the day, like, I know all of these things about the conditions under which I write really well. So then it's my job to make those conditions a matter of routine and make any actions that are good a matter of routine. And it's just, it's so powerful. So it's, it's this combination of have this personal experimentation mindset and then make sure to incorporate those experiments into different processes and in particular in routines. People who just say, oh, I'm totally spontaneous in this, I mostly don't don't buy that in their life in general because just, well, I've, I've talked about before different aspects of, of planning, but in general, even if I want to be spontaneous, I want to set up time to be spontaneous and I want to know in what way spontaneity benefits me and when to allocate time for that, when to leave a whole week open or something like that. But in general, there are just cause and effect relationships that either lead me toward more flourishing or less flourishing. And it's really, really good to know myself inside and out and then to plan to leverage those relationships as much as possible. And that a huge amount of that is just getting a routine down where just all 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 the factors are loaded in my favor because I've engineered everything so that I'm I'm guaranteed to get a lot of a lot done. And because I've had so much benefit from that, I am particularly eager for any of your ideas on experimentation, including nutritional experimentation, so that I can incorporate those, learn from those, run better experiments myself, and then incorporate those into my routine. So today, number one takeaway is the, the value of the art of self-experimentation. Next week, we will almost certainly be talking about psychology with a very interesting guest and it's going to be my first interview on the show i have i have some i think new ideas and promising ideas about how to interview people and i think the guest will be really interesting but only only one way to find out so thank you for listening if you don't hear me before next week and if i release next week on friday in particular have a great thanksgiving uh, and think about I'd say in particular, the people in the world who have really contributed to human flourishing and made it, given us definitely the greatest opportunity in history that anyone has ever had to flourish. So I, I think about those people and enjoy, uh, you know, enjoy whatever gathering you're at. All right. Oh, and forgot to say, as a reminder, if you have any questions or comments, email me at alex at alexepstein.com. If you want to get weekly notifications about the show, make sure to go to humanflourishingproject.com and sign up for the email list and then to participate in the discussion, including to share 
different ideas you have, go to facebook.com slash human flourishing project. All right, that's it for this week. Until next week, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project. <laughs>